Guys, we're in Joshua chapter 23. This is part of our Joshua series that we started last spring. This is part 17. This is the 17th sermon that we'll have had in the book of Joshua. And of course, all these sermons can be found online. They're on SoundCloud. There's actually two video sermons on the website. I think it's like part four and five of Joshua. But we're in Joshua part 17 today. And uh, we're going to jump right into the text. Joshua chapter 23, verse 1. A long time afterward. A long time afterward. Now, we don't know the exact time that this is. We can say with any degree of certainty, but it's entirely possible that this is some 20 years later after chapter 22. It's entirely possible there's a 20-year gap between chapters 22 and 23. Joshua is at the end of his life. He is a very, very old man. And it says, A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old, And well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. He's at the end of his life. Very, very old man. And he wants the people to remember. Because if you're anything like me, you struggle remembering things. Our our, our hearts are prone to wander from God. Our hearts are prone to forget the faithfulness of God. And so what he's doing here in much of chapter 23 is recalling the people. Remember that time when God just showed up so much in your life where he was so good to you, he was so merciful, he was so patient, he was so real. You remember that? I think, think about that. That's what he wants the people to do. Think about those times. So undeniable that God was on the move. And that's what he's having them do here. He wants them to think about this as we see, once again, verse 3, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for as the Lord your God who has fought for you. You've seen everything he's done. We go back to chapter 1. Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy. Joshua assumes command. The people are going to cross into enemy territory. God miraculously parts the Jordan River during the rainiest, wettest time of the year. They cross over on dry ground. Remember that? Remember what happened when they came to Jericho? Surely you remember, right? They march around Jericho. The walls come tumbling down. Remember when God fought for you? Remember when God was real for you in undeniable ways? Do you remember that? Remember at the battle of Ai? Second battle of Ai? Because the first one didn't do so, didn't go so well because of some sin that had to be worked out, but yet God was even merciful. And the second battle of Ai gave us this master plan and we executed and we defeated our enemies there. Or what about the day in which the sun stood still? Surely you remember that. There has never been a day like that ever again. 
During the southern campaign in Joshua 10, God caused the sun to stand still, literally made the earth stop rotating, slowed it down so that the sun would stay and give Israel extra hours of daylight in order to defeat their enemies. Remember that? Or maybe you remember about our campaigns against the Northern Alliance when we were outnumbered a thousand to one and Jabin, king of Hazor, formed this coalition and they were going to destroy us once and for all. And we were outmanned and outgunned and we had no way that we would ever beat these guys and God came and God fought for us and we defeated them. Do you remember that? Israel? Church, do you remember that time when God was just very real in your life and He showed up and He was patient and He was kind and He was merciful He was good? That's what Joshua wants. That's how Joshua wants us to direct our thinking right now. Behold, he says in verse 4, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the Great Sea, the Mediterranean, and the West. I've given you this inheritance from chapter 13 to chapter 19. I divvied out the land to all the different tribes. Some of the land that I've given to you, we've taken care of business, we've defeated our enemies. Some of the land we still haven't taken yet, and there's bad guys living in the land, but that's okay because I'm giving it to you. It's no problem that bad guys are living there. More battles to fight, that's okay. Why? Because God fights for you. If He's fighting for you, if He's for you, there's no one that can come against you. I don't care if you're down and outnumbered a thousand to one. It's okay. It's okay. Then he says this, verse 5, The Lord your God will push them back before you, drive them out of your sight, and you shall possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, therefore, verse 6, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. This is what I want you to do, guys. We've, we've been looking back at what God has done in the past. But now I want you to draw your attention to the future. And the warning that he gives is that you might be strong very strong, that you would carefully obey everything that Moses has instructed you, not turning aside. Of course, this sentiment is the almost exact word-for-word sentiment, the words that God gives to Joshua when he assumes the new command as the leader of Israel back in chapter 1. The famous phrase, be strong and courageous. Unless you think that this is somehow by the part of God or by Joshua an emphasis on your own self-reliance, well, then you would be very wrong. When he says be strong and courageous, it's not about you being self-reliant, you pulling yourselves up by the bootstraps, because that doesn't make much of God, that makes much of you. He says, oh, look at me, being strong and courageous, right? No! No, we're not supposed to look at us, look at God! Right? He's the one that's fought for us. He's the one that's done what only He can do. 
So that's what he's telling them here, right? He's giving them almost the exact same like sentence packaged together that was given to him years and years ago when his story started in chapter 1. Be strong. Be strong. Be very strong to keep everything that's written in the book of Moses, right? Be very strong to do that. Don't turn aside. The Israelites, and this is important, their future success was dependent upon their obedience to God. Okay, there's, there's still land that they have not yet taken. Still land in which enemies dwell, but that's okay because God fights for them, right? And, if, and as we've seen, when God fights for you, no one can oppose you. So that's, that's what he's saying, right? Look at this. Look at his faithfulness. Look how he's fought for you. Therefore, here's what you need to do. Obey him. Obey him. You need to be strong. You need to be very strong to obey him because you will no doubt come across temptations that will cause you to not obey him. Joshua knows this is true. He knows that his people will be tempted to turn aside. Oh, maybe ever so slightly at first because that's usually how it starts. And then before you know it, what has turned ever so slightly now feels like you're a million miles away from God because... You've just been drifting for so long. And he's concerned. He's concerned that his people will drift. And so, in order for them not to, he wants to remind them, God is good, God is faithful, God has fought for us, we can trust God, he is faithful, he keeps his promises. Think about those things, especially when you're tempted, right? When you're tempted and to not be very strong, to not obey him. Think about who he is, he is better. He is better. Don't mix with these nations. There's little Israel, and all around them are people who do not love God and people who will no doubt be a stumbling block to them to pull their hearts and affections away from God. Oh, we are not much different today, church. We're not a whole lot different. It might feel that way when you're inside the Vine Center. Oh, but we are not the majority. We are a small minority of the covenant people of God. And the world is tugging at us, just as these Canaanite nations are tugging at little Israel, trying to pull their attention, their affection, their love from God. And you have it coming at you every single day. Whether or not you realize it, it's coming at you. It's coming at you on Netflix. It's coming at you on Hulu. It's coming at you on social media. It's coming at you anywhere and everywhere. Find your joy, your happiness. Find it somewhere other than Jesus. That contentment, that satisfaction. Well, this is what Joshua is trying to warn them of. And so he says in verse 8, But you shall cling to the Lord your God. But you shall cling to the Lord your God. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. The word cling can also be translated hold fast, but I think you get the general idea. You're holding fast, you're holding tightly and securely to it, right? Maybe as like a running back, would, I mean, he's hanging on to that ball lest he drop it. Like you're, you're clinging, you're holding fast to God. It shows in this, this word the extreme closeness that Joshua wants his people to have with God. That's what he wants. But see, the problem 
for those people. The problem for us, the problem I find today, is that people don't want this sort of relationship with God. You know what they want? They want surface level, make me feel better, shallow, don't get in my way, God, sort of relationship with Him. And then they wonder later on while it feels like God is so distant from them because they have strayed from God's path. He says, be very strong to obey all the words written in the book of Moses, right? Not to deviate, not to turn aside from it. People don't oftentimes want that. They they want this kind of Disney version of American Christianity, which says, all right, God, you just stay over there in the corner. Please don't kind of like get in my way. I want to do me right now, but I'll let you know if I need you. I just want the make me feel better version of Christianity. I just want the shallow version of Christianity. That's it. Nothing more. See, the the failure, the failure to cling to God, the failure to cling to God is a direct result of the failure to obey God in verse 6, right? Verse 6, verse 8, very much coupled together. If you don't see that, see that. Verse 6, be very strong and courageous, right? Why? Because Israel's future success depends upon their obedience to God. And this is the case that Joshua is building. He is faithful. He will fight for you. What you need to do is obey Him, okay? And I realize this might be a challenge, so in obeying Him, you must cling to Him. Because if you're not clinging to Him, you're going to be clinging to something else. And of course, they don't cling to him. They don't cling to him because they are turning aside. They're turning aside from the path they should be on. They don't cling to him because ultimately there was something else and there is something else they would rather cling to. Just as true today as it was back then. And this would become the dominant problem for the people. This would be the dominant problem for the people during the period of the judges, which follows this story in the historical narrative. This would be the problem for King Solomon. This would ultimately lead to the downfall and the divide and the split of the kingdom between north and south. And then after the kingdom split, it would be the downfall of the northern kingdom. It would be the downfall of the southern kingdom. The people, even after they went to exile, after they returned from exile, it would be the dominant problem during the post-exilic period. And so we have this contrast of ideas. Cling to God, Joshua. Cling to Him. Cling to Him. Don't turn away from Him, verse 6. Obey Him. Be strong. Be very strong. Because those temptations will come and they will pull you aside. They will. And they do. Verse 9. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. Once again, pointing them back to what God has done. He's driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand. Since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. How does that happen, do you suppose? How does it happen that one man puts to flight a thousand men? It doesn't happen. Apart from God. 
One man does not put to flight a thousand men. That's possible. Not with God. Not with God. Very possible with God. Very possible. Why? Because it's God who's fighting for you. Because it's God who's fighting for you. That's why it's possible. Because when God is fighting for you, the seemingly impossible then becomes possible. So Israel, Israel, hear me, Joshua is telling them. Cling to him. Don't turn from him. Obey him. Your future success depends upon it. Verse 11, be very careful. You really see how much Joshua is stressing this. He is so concerned that they're going to flake. Be very careful, verse 11. Therefore, to love the Lord your God. You got to be careful. Why? Well, Joshua's going to get very specific right now. Verse 12. For if you turn back and cling to... All right, notice the contrast, right? Verse 8, clinging to God. Verse 12, clinging to someone or something other than God. Verse 12. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and you make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. You do this, you sacrifice God's blessings. Why'd you want to do that, right? You do this, understand what's going to happen. I mean, you're thinking about this, you're like, okay, right? It's like, imagine you're taking a test, and Joshua's like, here's your test, right? And he says, I'm going to give you all the answers to the test right now beforehand. You're like, oh, sweet. Like, all you literally have to do is check the right answer as Joshua tells you what the answer is. Too easy, right? You would think so. Verse 13. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. If you cling to anyone other than God, okay, you're going to forfeit the blessings of God. And not only do you forfeit, will you forfeit the blessings of God, but you will incur the punishment of God. Specifically, they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes. I don't know if you've ever, like, poked yourself in the eye. I've never had... I poked myself accidentally. But, like, imagine thorns going into your eyes. He's really trying to get across, like, don't do this, okay? I'm giving you, like, the right answers. Follow my advice. But if you decide not to, not only will you forfeit the blessings of God, but, oh, by the way, you will incur the wrath and the punishment of God. Don't do it, guys. They will, be a, they will be a snare. They will be a trap to you. You think about snares and traps. You never. The reason they're snares and traps is because oftentimes you go in thinking, oh, this is so good, right? It's like, you know, you pick it up. And it's like, oh, oh, that tastes, that's, oh, man, that's great. And then you drink it. And then after you swallow it, it seems like it's three seconds later, right? And you're like, what have I done? I'm speaking metaphorically, right? Whatever that sin is that has now entrapped you, like it's like tempting you, it's pulling you from God, right? You're like, oh, like, do I cling to God or do I cling to this thing, this person, whatever it is? And then it's almost seducing you and it's just so tasteful to your mouth and then you sip it and it's just great and then you know it, right? Some of you have been there and then as soon as you swallow it, maybe three seconds and you're like, it tastes like I just swallowed gasoline. What just happened? What have I done? 
Right? That's what he's trying to get at. It will be a trap. It will be a snare. Like it will feel like a whip on your side. It will feel like thorns in your eyes, or Joe paraphrase, like swallowing gasoline. Until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Verse 14, and now I am about to go the way of all the earth. I'm leaving you. I'm an old man. And you know in your hearts, souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. In other words, you can trust me. You know it. You know it's true. The Lord your God promised concerning you, all have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. Verse 15, but just as all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord God will bring upon you all the evil things. Not only will you forfeit blessings from God, but you're going to incur his judgment and wrath. Don't do that until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you. Why would you, why would you do this? Why would you risk this? Why would you trade this, right? Makes you maybe recall the story of Esau. He trades something so valuable for something so cheap, but yet in that moment, I'm sure it just seemed like the greatest thing, and that's often the appearance that sin takes, right? In that moment, it seems so good, so alluring, so tempting. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? This good land that the Lord your God has given you. Verse 16, if you transgress, if you sin, the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And you shall perish quickly from off the good land that he has given to you. Do you know that God God gets angry with us at times? We, We... Maybe, maybe you come from a church and all they talk about is the love of God and, and for you Christianity is nothing more than butterflies and lollipops and cotton candy while ignoring the other attributes of God that he's also a just God and sometimes, sometimes God gets very angry with his children. He does. And you see, I think, through this chapter, Joshua just pleading and pleading with his people warning them of the future and yet reminding them of the past. Warning them of the future, reminding them of the past. That's really chapter 23. And then, you think about the issue. Joshua's concern. Go back to verse 12. There's the issue. Staring you right in the face. I think it's so interesting because the issue, the, the big issue that Joshua is concerned about is the very big issue that I am concerned about. 2018 to the ancient Near East, it's the same issue. Joshua's biggest concern is that they will get involved in romantic relationships that they have no business getting involved in. And for a room with many, many people who are not married... You picked a very good Sunday to come. (laughs) So hang on tight. It is no doubt one of the, the biggest desires, hopefully not the biggest desire, but it is a big desire. 
And he said, it's a God-given desire. It is not good for man to be alone. No, no it's not. Even Solomon in his wisdom tells us in Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife, he finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And yet Joshua is concerned that these, these people will be seduced. And you know, you were there last week, the story of Baal of Peor, it's happened, right? It's happened in their lifetime. He's worried that they are going to get involved with women who just flat out don't love God. That's his concern. Or get involved with men, ladies, who flat out don't love God. We would, we would say that they're, they're not Christians, okay? But you say, Joe, we live in Lynchburg. Everybody's a Christian, or they say they're a Christian. So we've got no more application to make. Well, don't worry. I have some more application to make. And, and, and here is what I think we need to understand. Definitely, I think he is saying this. Don't, I'm worried that you're going to get involved, right? Instead of clinging to God, you're going to cling to these other relationships. And these people flat out don't love God. Okay, I'm sure they're super nice and sweet. They don't love God. And the application that I'm going to make, because I know the cultural context here, is for people who get involved with relationships with people that they really shouldn't be involved in. Well, maybe they say they love God, but this is where I think we really need to break it down. I don't, for those of you who are new, I don't normally get this, like, application heavy on, on just practical applications. I don't normally, but I, I, I feel like this is so important. I feel like this is so, so important. So, okay, if Joshua is saying that these sort of relationships, right, if these sort of relationships are going to be and maybe a huge stumbling block, that we no longer cling to God, that we turn from God, and then we cling to them instead, then, then what sort of precautions might we take to, to follow Joshua? And I think there are certainly, in many of these cases, two extremes. Too high, too low. Too high and too low. So the person says, all right, well, I don't want it to be a, sn- a, a trap or a snare, So in order to protect myself from getting involved in relationships that I ought not to, I have now come up with a list. Pretend this is a list. It's not, but just pretend. I have come up with a list of 189 things to look for in my future husband. This is the abridged version, right? And for this person... Part of the problem is that they are clinging to just an unrealistic idea. It's not even necessarily a person. It's the idea of that person, of Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright, and my 180 plus things on my list that they must have. Problem, not to mention just super unrealistic. And so they walk around, and be a guy comes and says, I'd love to take you out. And they say, oh, I- I'm sorry. Do you play many musical instruments? No, sorry. That's number 167 on my list. That- that's not going to work. <laughs> or they come, they say, hey, I'd like to take you out on a date. Oh, I'm sorry. I-, I have a kind of a minimal standard that you have to have arms as big as Stephen Furtick, so <laughs> it's not going to work. Or, or um, well... I have a standard that you have to at least be at the same level or above as far as handyman skills, probably like Chip Gaines from Fixer Upper. So if you're not there, that's actually number 123 on my list. So I like hit the road, right? 
And so this person, this person is just unrealistic standards, I think. Just very, very unrealistic. And they think, well, I- I'm going to avoid the snaps and, the tra- and these traps of getting involved in maybe these idols, okay? Okay? Specifically, it's romantic relationships, but, but it's, it's idols, right? And so I'm going to set up all these different hedges to protect me and thinking that, it, yes, it's a great idea, end up really idolizing this person who doesn't even exist. But then there's the opposite extreme, and it's the person where the standard is maybe not so high, but it is just very, very, very low. And for this person... Someone comes, they said, listen, I I would like to get to know you. I'd like to take you on a date. And basically their minimal standard is, are you breathing? You're breathing? Okay, sure, I'll go, I'll I'll get to know you. And for this person, it usually tends to be, uh, they just crave, they crave like the relationship so much that they're willing to settle for breadcrumbs because they think breadcrumbs are better than no crumbs. And that's the lie, right, that they're buying into. I'd rather have just some guy or some girl than no guy or, or no girl. Because if, if, I, if I don't take this opportunity, maybe I'll never get another one. You want to know what I want to know when we think about this issue? When we really try to think about the concern that Joshua has? I want to know, what does their walk with God look like? Not, not what could it look like, not what it used to look like. What does their walk with God look like right now? Okay? Not what it, not what it could, not like projections. I don't need a graph of six months out, 12 months out. Like, what does it look like right now? Because right now, like, when you're dating someone, that's when they're supposed to be on their best behavior. That's when they're supposed to be on their best behavior. And there, I think, when we think about this, there are very practical ways for us to navigate Joshua's concerns. And I think Paul says it best in 1 Timothy chapter 5, right? How do we, how do we interact with people? Well, Paul says it well for Timothy 5 here. And lean on this for the, the how-to part of this to navigate this in a very practical way. And this is, I'm going to treat the younger men as brothers. I'm going to treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. And some people, some people really have no idea what this means. That means the guys sitting around you, ladies, those are your brothers. The girls sitting around you, those are your sisters. It doesn't matter whether you're married or not married. Those are your sisters. Those are your brothers. Now, see, now, I'm sure it's not a lot different my time removed from, from college, but oftentimes I'll see girls and literally it's kind of like, I mean, in the back of their mind, whether they say it or not, it's literally like um, every single guy, every single guy they, they meet, it's like, oh, I wonder if he's my future husband. I wonder if he's my, no, he doesn't have blue eyes. Guess not. Like, I wonder, I wonder if this guy's my future husband. I wonder if this guy's my future husband. What about this guy, this guy, this guy? Instead of, no, 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 it's treat the younger men as brothers. Treat the younger men as brothers. That, that should be your thought process. That should be your thought process. Am I treating the younger men as brothers? And I see many people, regardless of whether it's guys or girls, and the issue becomes this. The issue becomes, I'm not first and foremost thinking of people as my brothers or my sisters. I've seen, I've seen some people totally just not talk to other people because that's how they're thinking, as they later on would tell me. Because there's no possibility... Hello, small child. <laughs> because they think, oh, well, there's no possibility they could be my future so-and-so, so boom. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a problem, right? 
The Christian life is not wife hunter or husband hunter. It's treating the younger men as, as brothers, treating the younger women as, as, as sisters. And I think this is really, really, really important. And I always say this. I'll get real practical because I know this question, if I don't even address it here, it's going to come up in like a small group setting. And they say, well, how, how would you treat your sister? You know, like, you know. I'm like, what do you mean? You know. Oh, that's what you mean. Okay. Would I hold my sister's hand? I'd hold my sister's hand. I might put my arm around my sister. I might hug my sister. I might give her a kiss on the cheek or the side of the head or the forehead. I might do that. But would I stick my, stick my tongue in my sister's mouth? No, that's just weird. <laughs> Don't care who you are. That's weird. Don't care where you're from. That's just weird, right? Say, Joe, you saying that's a sin? I'm saying it might be for some people. It might be. I say it's very dangerous at the very least. Very dangerous. But then oftentimes when we think of, we think of this issue, right? Josh was basically saying, I don't want you guys getting involved. Like, be so careful not to get involved in these romantic relationships that will no doubt draw your heart away from God. Oftentimes we only think in terms of purely the physical. Like, that sometimes honestly becomes a distraction for us. And this is what I call the, the entrapment game. The entrapment game. And what I mean by this is, we don't oftentimes think of how the emotional fits into this. So we only are looking to guard against the physical, but what about having like the appropriate like emotional boundaries? I remember I was on, I, th- I was on a date. It wasn't actually a date. It was the second time I was hanging out with this girl. And she, the second time we've ever hung out, and she begins, she pulls me aside, and we're in like a group setting, which I always recommend, and she begins to tell me like these deep, heavy things, how her father shot and killed himself right in front of her brother, and there's blood everywhere, the police are surrounding the house, and I'm like, whoa, that's, that's, whoa, that's really heavy, and that's, that's what I mean, like how we, how do we guard against that, how do we protect against that, because this fits into what Joshua is discussing, it very much fits into that, and I think in the same way, I remember my one friend, she was on a date with a guy, and I asked her how her date went, and she said, well, it went really great, but he was, he was really sharing all these really deep, heavy things, and there's usually one of two reasons why someone does that, why they would share such deep, heavy things, and one reason is because they have no sense of propriety, no sense of boundaries, and they maybe are dealing with hurts and pains that they've never fully worked through, they've never fully addressed and they're coming to you and, and, and seeking you out, whether they realize it or not, to, to help them, to heal them, to fix them. Or in my friend who was on the date with the, with the guy, and he began sharing this, they know exactly what they're doing. And this is what I mean. When you say, for example, I love you to someone, it creates an obligation obligatory response, okay? You know it. Social protocols, you say, I love you, and then what? You expect what? You expect to hear that back, right? Like, it's, it's almost sets it up awkward. I remember, like, I, one time with my best friend, Roland, way back in the day, I'd be like, I love you, Roland. He'd be like, thanks. <laughs> like, and you know, sometimes you've been in that situation, it's like really awkward and uncomfortable. It's like, ah, I don't know what to do with this. I barely know you. And in the in the same sense, when people 
like the girl and the guy that I just mentioned, my friend, and this guy is sharing all these deep, heavy things. When people are sharing really, really deep, heavy things, oftentimes it creates that, ob- that obligation and need to. Well, they just told me some deep, dark secrets, so now i got to tell them deep, dark secrets. Right? You say, so you think that guy meant to say that to your friend on the date? I do. Why? Because I think, I, I knew, I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Well, why would you do that? To what aim? Because when you begin to share deep, heavy, emotional, vulnerable things, it creates, it creates this artificial intimacy. It, it creates this level of comfortability. And so what people will do, like this guy who I told my friend, I said, I think he's just trying to hook up with you. I wouldn't do that. I said, I understand that. But from his point of view, he knows that most people won't cross physical lines because they're like, well, I don't know you, right? I don't know you. I'm not going to cross physical lines with you. But guess what? If you can build artificial intimacy, if you can create an illusion because you now share deep, heavy, personal things, you go from, wow, we, I mean, we've, we, it feels like we've known each other for like, maybe like 5, 10, 15 weeks when you've only known the person for a hot five minutes. <laughs> and so now they're much more... They're, they're much more likely to go and do things because it feels just much safer, right? Because you've, you've shared these, these things that maybe you don't normally share with people. I say this because I want you to, to be aware of this, guys. You say, what do I do? You know, we, we throw around phrases like, guard, guard your heart, guard her heart. And half the time, I never, like, it's just a phrase. Like, like what does that actually mean? Let me get real practical. Again, like I said, I, I don't, I'm not normally this practical, but I think it's just so needed. There was a, a guy, his name was Dave McKinney. I don't know if any of you guys know that name. You know Dave McKinney. When I was a freshman at Liberty in 05, I saw, I didn't know who he was. He was just the guy on the stage with Meredith Andrews, the campus praise band. Like, that's all I knew. But I remember Dave came to my dorm, and he was sharing these sorts of situations, all right, in which, like, People either intentionally, like the example I gave, or unintentionally begin trying to emotionally entrap someone. Like I said, sometimes it's unintentional. What do you do? And he said, from personal experience, I was on a date with this girl, and she began, I could tell, to, to really share these really deep, like, heavy things. And he said, you know what? I, can I cut you off just for a second? I, I really want to hear what you have to say. But I also want to make sure, like, I'm, I'm treating you well, and I'm protecting you and guarding your heart. And I think it might be better that maybe we save this conversation just a little down the road. And I was like, wow, right? Well, we called it the old Dave McKinney, right? <laughs> After that, right? No, but I think that's practically how. Had I heard him say that before I was on that date with that girl on the second date or second time I was hanging out with her and she starts to say how like her father like committed suicide right in front of her brother, I probably would have said, you know what, can I just stop you for a second? I want to guard your heart. I want to protect you. I want to treat you as my sister in all purity. And I think while I want to hear this story, we should maybe just save it for a little later down the road. You think about what Joshua is getting at. He's concerned that his people will get drawn into these relationships, will get drawn in that they have no business getting drawn into. So I always like to ask the question, is he a Christian? Ladies, you come to me, you say, I got this guy, right? Gentlemen, it could be the opposite, okay? So fill it in however you need to. say, I got this guy, right? I like this guy, I like this girl. What do you think? If my little sister came, and she's not a Christian as far as I know, but if she came, I'd say, Olivia, is he a Christian? And then you'd sit there, and you'd say, yes. 
because that's what you'd say. Because you wouldn't come talk to me if they were. <laughs> Maybe you would, but you probably wouldn't. And then I'd say, why do you think he's a Christian? And then it might get a little tricky, and you'd say, well, because he has a personal relationship with Jesus. That's a textbook answer. And then I'd say, so did Judas. So does the devil. John Piper loves to say, the devil thinks more true thoughts about God than we probably will in a lifetime. He is infinitely brilliant, but he hates God. And then at that point, you might not know where to go. And so I'd help you out a little bit because it'd be a little awkward at this moment kind of how it is in the room. (laughs) And I would say, do they love Jesus? Oh, by the way, would anyone know that they love Jesus? You guys know my favorite hockey team, right? Yeah. Some of you guys know. Oh, yeah, say it, right? (laughs) Now, I realize some of you guys are here for the first time. You don't maybe know that I'm a huge hockey fan, but I am a huge hockey fan. In fact, in a few weeks, on a Thursday night, we'll be having kind of like a Super Bowl party, but for the Rangers season opener. (laughs) Okay? That's, That's... the first Thursday in October, you mark your calendars, you come over to my house, it'll be a good time. You say, it's pretty obvious that Joe loves the Rangers. Pretty obvious. And so my response is, should it not be equally obvious, if not more so, that I love Jesus? That he loves Jesus? That she loves Jesus? Or would you say to his co-workers or co-workers, oh, you know so-and-so is a Christian? Really? That guy? He's a Christian? Nah, you're messy. You're, you're yanking my chain. Or maybe you live in like the, the big south and in the south, everybody's a Christian, right? If only. If only. No, like, can you tell? Like, do they love Jesus? Is it evident in their lives? I'd ask questions like this. Is he a part of a local church? Is she a part of a local church? Oh, she's really involved in her dorm ministry. No, nope, not the same thing. Dorm ministry is great. Not the same thing as the local church. Well, he's really, really, really busy. Mm-hmm. Right? He's, he or she is still looking for the right church. Let me just tell you, because some of you guys, you're here visiting today, and maybe you're looking for the right church, right? You're looking for the right church, looking for that perfect church. I always tell people, don't bother looking for the right church. You find the right church, don't go, because if you go, you'll just end up screwing it up. Right? <laughs> you will. You will. In other words, the right church does not exist. Okay? So people, ah, I'm still looking for the right church. How long has it been? Ah, like six months, nine months, a year, 18 months. Just kind of doing the church hopping thing, never getting involved, never really making a commitment, keeping people at arm's length. That's what I would ask my little sister, because I love her so much. Is, is he? Is he part of a local church? Okay? I'd say, does he have a small group? Does he have, does he have men in his life to keep him accountable? Like, other than his 19-year-old CGL. Like, that's what I want to know. Like, like, Chandler says it all the time. Like, young dudes, go and pursue older dudes. Like, get in their way. Ask them questions. Young girls, find older girls. You, you've got to go beyond the dorms to do that. You do. Because there's an age limit on the dorms. You have to do that. That's what I want to know because this is discipleship at its core. 
Or, or does that guy, does that girl isolate you? You've maybe even seen this. Like we're like four weeks in the semester, five weeks, and they isolate you. Or not only do they isolate you, and it's just a couple. They're only hanging out ever together. Like he's really controlling, never lets her out of his sight, or rather discourages her or discourages him from being a part of a community. Like, you know what always impresses me? When I see people that are in romantic relationships and they show up to service or small group by themselves, my, my significant other is sick, but I'm still here. Like, or do they, do they discourage you? It's Sunday, and it's 4 o'clock. I don't really want to go to service, okay? Like, I'm tired of hearing Joe preach or whatever it might be that rubs you the wrong way, okay? And they come alongside and say, you know what, in those moments when we don't want to be there, that's when we need to be there more than ever. Or whether it's small group Tuesday or Wednesday. Like, do they discourage you? Because I'll tell you what, like, the Christian life is hard, and you need somebody in your life that will build you up, that will encourage you to push you to love the people of God, to love the Word of God, to love God Himself, especially in those moments that you just aren't feeling it, because there will be moments where you're not feeling it. That's what you need. Don't, don't go there. I mean, think about Joshua, right? We're still in Joshua. I'm just making a lot of practical applications. Gentlemen, I find that oftentimes, like this is such a, a big issue where I think you need to remember, just because I can date someone doesn't mean I should. And I know there's a, a general desire that we have like to have that someone, to have like my person. I got that, and that's not a bad desire. But this is what I think you need to keep in the back of your mind. Because I, what I see is, so many guys are like, and it's usually the guys here, Kevin, okay, I'm trying to be fair both to genders here, but it's usually the guys here, they treat relationships like a recreational activity, and they're like a dog chasing a ball, and then once they catch the ball, they don't know what to do with it. Like, I got the ball, now what? Okay, n- now she likes you, what's the plan? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Now you're in a romantic relationship with her, what are you doing? And they treat, they treat romantic relationships like this recreational, like, activity. And they've got no plan. They're just like, well, I got the ball. I guess I'll just wait around until I get bored of the ball or until I find a better ball. <laughs> you, you, you know that happens, right? Listen, if you treat romantic relationships like a recreational activity, like, you, you're not there yet at all. <laughs> Don't do that. If you're looking for a hobby, find a show on Netflix. It's so important that we treat the younger women as sisters. We treat the younger men as brothers. And and guys, I think there's a certain level of honesty in girls that we have to have when it comes to, like, if you can just do one thing, and I think it's just take responsibility. Like, some of you guys, you can't even, like, make it to your classes, and they're in the afternoon. Come on. You're, like... Like, you can't even make it to your classes there in the afternoon. Like, you haven't had a job in this many years or whatever it might be. Like, like some of you just need to take responsibility. I mean, if you can't even make it to your classes or your job on time, like, you probably even, you probably shouldn't have a pet, let alone a relationship. You probably, you're just not there yet. And honestly, for some of you, I think the best thing is just to say, you know what? I'm not there. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like nail you guys, but just to be honest and say, like, I'm not there yet. I've still got some growing, some learning, some maturing to do. And some of you girls, you're so foolish. 
because you make excuses for little Johnny, right? You make excuses for these little boys and you do them absolutely no favor. As I've already said, when you're dating someone, that's when, that's when they're supposed to be on their very best behavior. And this usually tends to be the person who just craves the relationship that they'll just take whatever they can get because they think breadcrumbs are better than no crumbs. And so they make excuses and they justify their significant others like walk with God or whatever really the issue is because they think if I can just have that relationship, it will just make everything better. And they've got this Disney princess view of relationships. And let me tell you, like relationships are wonderful gifts from God. But Joshua's concern is that they get involved in the wrong sort of relationships. And by the way, we think about, I think oftentimes, this idealistic view of relationships, you know, whether it's the the person who has a list of 180 plus things. We have this, okay, that's very much a culture seeping into us. But the thing about relationships, especially in marriage, it doesn't, not only does it not fix things, and we really think, I think truly, that it will fix things. Not only does it not fix things, it usually magnifies the sin of each person in the relationship. If you don't believe me, you can ask Diana. What do you mean you don't want to make the bed? Like, well, when we're going to have that conversation or whatever it might be. I mean, she can tell you, like, I, man, I didn't know you were this weird when we were dating. Like, she told me that the other day. Man, you're so weird sometimes. I didn't know this. That's what, but, but, but that's my point, right? We think, we think relationships it will be like the fix-it thing, and rather it often reveals all the cracks, all the sins, and just magnifies them. But then there is, of course, the person who feels this indebtedness, this responsibility. Because remember the, what he says, right? Cling to God. Cling to God. And in the contrast in verse 12, so verse 8, we have cling to God, and then we have verse 12, don't do it, right? Don't cling to these relationships that will no doubt draw your heart away from God. You say, no, it won't. Like if it can happen to King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lives, yes, it can happen to you, church. And then sometimes we, we have, and honestly, I think this is, just, this is just demonic spiritual warfare. It is the lies that we believe. And we say, well, if I leave him, if I leave her, I am his, I am her only Christian friend. They won't be able to make it without me. He needs me. She needs me. I'm their only Christian friend. No, they don't need you. They need Jesus. That's what they need. No, you're not their Savior. Jesus is their Savior. And odds are, if that's you, you're probably doing more harm to them. You're probably just getting in the way of God and being a stumbling block to what God is trying to do in his or her life right now. But, of course... Beauty sometimes is so deceptive. And gentlemen, and and this is true of girls too, but gentlemen, you know how hard that can be when you see a smoking fine girl, okay? And it's like, well, did Joshua really say, like, not to date, like, out? Like, let's break it down a little bit. Let's look at the original language. Let's look at the context here. What was, she's so fine, Joe! Here's my thought on that. Because I think, I, think, I think the devil uses beauty to make us backpedal on what God's Word says. And remember, remember his instructions. Be very strong not to turn away from what Moses has instructed you. Why? Because Joshua knows the temptations. He knows there's probably going to be some, some fine girls. Like, if the issue was, oh, by the way, these are all ugly girls, I don't think Joshua would be concerned at all. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm really worried you guys might cling to all these ugly chicks. Like, that's not his concern. That's, that's no temptation. That, and so, no doubt, I think oftentimes, like, we'll see that. Guy or girl will see their beauty. And this is what I always like to say to people. She may be hot, but so is hell. It's true. I, uh, I was catching, I saw this years ago, there was an episode, it was the season finale of this show on ABC called The Bachelor. So many biblical applications I can make from that show. <laughs> so many. <laughs> but this girl, she's the runner-up, and of course she's devastated because she's you know, gotten to know this guy over the course of four and a half dates, and he, she didn't get picked. <laughs> and she's crying her eyes out in the interview, making all the way to the finals, not getting picked. And there she is, and she's crying at the camera, and she's like, I'm just looking for a man who will love me. I think she was really, she was really upset. I would laugh at it, but she was really upset, like I said, because, you know, the emotional entrapment we talk about, yeah, you can do that only with four and a half dates, five and a half dates, whatever it is. And she's crying in front of the camera, and she says, I'm just looking for a man who will love me. I'm just looking for a man who will fight for me. Like, I- I'm just looking for a man who will love me unconditionally. Like, where is that man? She's genuinely asking the question, and everything inside of me just wanted to shout out, they nailed that guy to the cross. And that's the challenge. Do you cling to God, verse 8, or are you pulled away by temptations and you cling to other things? Contextually here, yes, it's romantic relationships they have no business at all being involved in. But that's what the world will sell you, right? Like the girl from The Bachelor. She's looking for this man to heal her, to fix her, to bring her satisfaction, to bring her contentment. And the fact is, is the world says, oh, look here, look here, look here, right? That's what the devil does, points you in all these directions other than the cross, That's where he's at. He's the one that can bring healing. He's the one that can fix it. He's the one that can bring you what your soul really desires. Like, I love some of you. I love you guys very dearly. But some of you are just living in the land of Oz right now. And as an older brother in the faith, reflecting on Joshua, this old man at the end of his life, this is his warning. Don't go there. Cling to God. Cling to God. Hold fast to your walk with God. Be strong. The temptations will battle at you like, 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 like a hurricane, like different waves crashing against you. You've got to be strong in your faith because you'll be wanting to pull away at times. Don't go there. Don't go there. Cling to him. He is better. Cling to him. He is more satisfying. Cling to him. He is more enjoyable. Cling to him. Cling to him. Don't go there. Don't go there. Breadcrumbs are not better than no crumbs at all, guys. Marriage does not simply, relationships do not simply fix everything. Oh, that we might be honest enough, I think, at some point to say, you know what, I'm not there. I've deviated from the path. I need to be here. I'm not. I'm not there. I'm not at this point yet. I certainly need to get my crap together, but I'm not there yet. That's okay. That's okay. 
move that direction and have older brothers and sisters in the faith help you move in that direction. That is my hope. That is my prayer for us. As I'm sure it was for Joshua. God, we love you so much. Thank you for saving us and rescuing us. I pray, God, that you would be enough for us. That you would be enough. That you would be soul-satisfying to us. That we would look to you, God. Oh, help us, Jesus, to cling to you. Help us to see you as better. To remember the times in our life where you were real and good and faithful. Where you fought for us. God, help us and protect us. We need your help, Jesus. This is hard stuff. It's just as hard in 2018 as it was in the, in the ancient Near East. So Jesus, help us. Help us to heed Joshua's words. Oh, that we might be strong and courageous. Oh, that we might faithfully obey and serve you all the days of our lives. Amen.